Rebels, have you ever looked at your parents and thought, I wonder if they're into younger men? Or, I wonder if they're open? Neither have I, but join us as we review the Canadian TV series Avocado Toast, right here on Rebel Without a Closet. Madeline, I need to speak to Madeline once. She's not here. Oh, thank God. This is a story of a guy named Brad. Who wants to be a steward anyway? How dare you? Shut up, I put on lip gloss. Let's unpack that for a second. What is happening? This is a conference table made of solid oak. This movie was a fucking lie. My God, my mother is upstairs somewhere. Was it an adventure for you? Final thoughts, I hated it. Oh, to Jesus, he's got a friend, Jane. Wait, wait. <laughs> oh, Stefan, watching you crumble is so embarrassing. <laughs> All right, starting with the toast to my avocado. Hi, Stuart. Hi. I think I'm the toast. I was the toast. Wait a second. Why am I the celiac, the toast? (laughs) Why are you so fucking passive aggressive? Living on the edge. Eat a sandwich. I love having the toast to my avocado (laughs) when I have IBS. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much, Stefan. I'll get you a gluten-free wrap, all lettuce, all the time. It's not lettuce. It's just sadness. It's, wow. it's farm fresh sadness. <laughs> the avocado to my toast. Hi, Joanna. Hi, guys. You know, I'm going to tell you something really quick at the beginning of this. And I thought we were doing this on video, but I have never had avocado on toast. I have. I don't like it. it. It's so bland. No, stop it. everything you're saying. No. I've Imagine taking a, I will not accept this from you, Stefan. Stop no. it. You're, Imagine you're taking a bland piece of white bread and then stop. putting nature's like garnish Don't on you, top. Like, mix it with something. Yes, it's not just do. avocado. Yes, Joanna, you do. Because you oh, like, they, like it looks lovely when they have it on TV. I'm just. Well, but isn't it just like? Sli- it. I swear to God, it's just slices of avocado on top of toast, and be like, Ta-da. no. Well, then oh, that God, restaurant was an asshole. Yes, they were. So where can we go get? Can you please plan a, a breakfast brunch outing so we can get, I know you can't have the toast, but can we plan it so I can go have a good avocado on a toast? So I make the best avocado toast and I'll tell you how. Thank I'll you be so over on Sunday. Yeah, whoa, 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 stop. Just pump the brake. I will never be making it for myself, but I will come over to your house on a Sunday. Amazing. So what it is, is a great <laughs> piece of sourdough. I like it. So good. How can you have sourdough? Wait, in your how house? can you have sourdough? Because it's gluten-free sourdough, sometimes they give us things too. <laughs> Fine. Anyway. Continue. So, there's sourdough. Bring your own toasters, though, because this is a gluten-free home. Oh, fair, fair. Stu, this is going to be such a funny TikTok, and I'm carrying my own toaster. It's going to make it. I'm going to – I'll put it beside me. We'll yeah. come in. We're going to meet and do the whole thing. Guys, I'm I, so excited. I swear to God, I went to a high-end restaurant – and for twelve ninety nine, I got a piece That's of toast true. with like seven slices of avocado, and that was it. And I genuinely thought that was avocado toast. No. Okay. Well, I've been Aren't I've been wrong really this whole time. I thought there was avocado a mix of girlies? something, but no. But okay, I mean, like, Stu, we're gonna do it. Throw some bacon and tomato and lettuce and, and make it a sandwich. Live his life thinking avocado toast is bland. Awful. Awful. But I you mean, know, it wasn't that awful. Restaurant took avocado toast to the most like bare bones basics. Avocado toast. Was there even butter on it? No. That's stupid. Was there okay. salt and pepper? No, on the table. Did you put some on or did you just ignore? You know what? I hate this for you. Yeah. I, you know what? No. This is, we're, we're this is not the experience TikTok. you can Don't have. I have to do a full TikTok on it. Well, I will be there for that. Full TikTok. I'm excited. I will make some avocado toast. Okay. I'll bring what? my own toaster. 
Speaking of avocado toast that didn't suck, however, we end up actually watching the first season and second season of the Canadian TV series Avocado Toast. And um, honestly, first season, we're going to kind of break it up. We're going to talk about the first season and then the second season and then our thoughts about production and people. Um, Let's start with our first thoughts on season one of Avocado Toast. Stuart? I liked it. It was fun. I like the characters. I like that we jumped directly into it. There was not a lot of lead up. Like I think we saw with Queer as Folk, there was a lot of exposition and character and character and character. Whereas this one, it was nice to settle in with two characters and kind of learn their history through their dialogue and interactions. Right. I also think the production quality was quite nice. It was nice to see Toronto in a non-irritating way. Oh, yeah. You know, in like Canadian shows where they're like, Toronto. (laughs) What's Look with at the RT? In- what are you doing? What? Yeah. Where are you from right now? Toronto. What did you say it like Toronto. that? Toronto. It's like to- the man from Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> I hate that nice to this- For our American viewers, Toronto. 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 Or Toronto. 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 <laughs> anyway, I was nice to see it because I really dislike watching Canadian TV and they call out things like, oh, we're going to Bloor Young Station. Yeah. We're on the Toronto Transit Community or tra- Transit System. Be the hard team. <laughs> Toronto Transit Community. I'm not from here. <laughs> you weren't You're born and raised. You're Canadian TV to filth. And I'm like, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> Hello, guys. <laughs> I'm toxic. <laughs> How about you, Joanna? What did you think of the first season? Uh, I thought it was a couple things. Number one, I thought the the characters were fun. It was interesting right away. I liked the the shorter episodes. It was nice. But the production was awesome because, and I, you know, I love Canada and Toronto, but (laughs) we have some production problems. We Mm -hmm. Canadians, I don't know what it is. I don't know where we've caught it. I don't know why we can't figure it out. But you can hear and see a Canadian show coming about 30 miles down the road. 60 or 70 if you're like in the prairies but like i don't understand why our production i don't i don't get the difference like i don't understand Mm -hmm. why we can't but not this show this show was actually done quite well there was some language stuff like the way they said certain words i'm like okay can that's some some hard canada right there Mm -hmm. um but the production was fantastic and let me tell you my favorite quote do you want me to tell you my favorite quote now yes that's My favorite quote of the entire season, because I think this is what, to be honest, of both seasons even, but this is what the quote was, the season was about. I'm an adult woman. I am taking your car and your phone and I will return it to you when I'm ready. And she was taking her <laughs> dad's shit. <laughs> and what I love about it so much and what I loved about that is that because really the theme, I think, is this idea that we're, no matter how old we are, we're still our parents' kids. And we can't, like, we can't get out of that ever. And and until, you know, it's kind of that horrible Disney thing, right? That's why the parent always dies in Disney movies, because nobody's allowed to grow up until that Never. happens. But it's <laughs> like, it's like these parents had to metaphorically die, meaning super disappointing their kids and divorce and whatever, you know, swingers or whatever they are, in order for their kids to kind of find their way through that, even though I don't know how old they're supposed to be in the show, late 20s or something. I um, would say, yeah, late 20s, early 30s. 30s. No, 33, 33. I think they say right, it But like at 33 to say, I am a grown adult woman. I am taking your car and your keys and I'll return... That's just so funny to me. And maybe it's because I grew up like 
my, my I've always relied on my mom. I've always been that kind of that kind of kid. Um, and I just feel like you're you're just you never. It's really really hard to break free from that. And I think it, you know, it, it's beautiful in a way, but it kind of it can be very stunting, and it doesn't allow you to become who you're supposed to become. You know. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. One hundred percent. We're gonna get to it, but that scene in. In gym class. Oh yeah, love to talk about that. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, I thought the episodes were were palatable. They're bite sized. So it was really nice. You can get through the entire season in like just a, a soft afternoon. Just kind of put it on and go. And <laughs> well, it's it's not it's not super intense. So you have to really pay attention to the screen. But it's enough that you can walk around, have your headphones in, kind of go about your day, and still completely get the story. Because I liked that they were able to compact. Um, each episode with a full story. Like it, really it seems like, yeah. yeah, the only one I'll say that sort of came out of nowhere was there's the, the inevitable blow up between the two main characters. And for me, that just sort of happened. And I thought that was a little odd, it, it, but it did really have to push them towards two completely different goals. Um, and, and I thought like the side, the side characters were great. I thought the parents were amazing. And I recognized the mothers, uh, Mag Ruffin and Brenda Robbins, who played Meredith and Patricia. I recognized them Canadian TV. I recognized Hunter from Schitt's Creek. So it was really nice to see this representation, um, like this Canadian representation within the show. And like Stuart said, not just really pushing that they're in Toronto. Toronto isn't a character. It is just the background which I thought was great. Also, I recognize Jake Christian Brunn. He played um, one of the brother-in-laws in Ready or Not, and I just watched that movie, and it's one of my favorite kind of dark comedy horrors. What? So can you talk to me about that man? I love him from Orphan Black. Oh. <laughs> character that he is known for in my head. Oh, and I've never seen Orphan Black. I'm like, where the fuck is Tatiana Maslany? What? You've never seen Orphan Black? Everyone says Why that. are you Everyone horrible? Everyone says that. <laughs> And I'm like, and I love her because I love her. She does podcast reviews that are hilarious on how this get made. She was in She-Hulk. I loved her in She-Hulk. And apparently everyone gets so mad at me when I say it. She plays herself. like 37 characters. She's it's so good. What yeah. is wrong with you? I keep telling you to watch it. <laughs> how many more times, Devin? How oh many more Lord. times? <laughs> so... So moving forward, though, um, so the one thing about season one in comparison to season two, I'm moving away from Orphan Black. So from the difference between season one and season two is that (laughs) season one seems to have a complete storyline where regardless of sort of the ending where the characters end up, they do obviously tease that they can allow for a second season, but it seems very contained. Like season one in and of itself is just a perfectly contained season, uh, 10 episodes long. And uh, and did a really got good job sort of setting these characters up from start to finish. Um, essentially, they're millennials who are dealing with their own um, sexual comforts, uh, social comforts, awkwardness, um, conversations with their parents. And I think a big theme for this season is communication. Because I found like that one of the best scenes from the seasons actually wasn't the two main characters. It was the two mothers. When the mothers were smoking weed. Yeah. So in that scene, the mothers are sort of reminiscing about how is it that our daughters can be so woke and so positive about everyone else, except for what we want and all the things that we worked on and that yeah. we wanted to be positive for. Like we, we accept them. Why would they accept us? 
And then it just continues on with that story of, of Elle and Molly, the two main characters, still misunderstanding and miscommunicating with their parents and each other. Um, I found that really interesting. Of the themes that we saw in this season, um, what really stood out to the two of you? I think trying, it's interesting because you, you say that they're super comfortable with who they are, but I don't, they, they can't be, they can't be. So being comfortable with your sexuality, in my opinion, means you're comfortable with who you are. These girls can't be comfortable in their sexuality, whether it's straight, whether it's bi, whatever they're, because neither of them have an identity. So, so what ends up happening is the, the one character, she comes home and she's all like, you know, she doesn't want to tell people she's nervous, whatever. And then she enters that health class, which I find particularly hilarious. I feel like, I feel like there should be a whole TV show centered around teaching kids sex education. Cause what a nightmare, (laughs) but she starts telling them, you know, she starts going into it and then a kid gives her a note. And the note's like, uh, I have to go to the office. I'm not allowed to hear this. Mm-hmm. And then later you watch her spin out of control as she yells at this kid or yells about the kind of parents that would pull their kids from sex ed and how, you know, limiting that is. And, you know, why are you doing that? What are you trying to feed? What kind of, but what I found interesting is, so the idea that they can't be comfortable with their parents is exactly the same reason. Now, the funny part is about their parents just like all the rest of us, you don't get comfortable, I don't think, until you know who you are. And most of us don't know who we are until well into our 30s, if not our 40s. Mm-hmm. And that's just the cycle. So by the time parents, when people say they have a midlife crisis, sometimes I've been sort of reassessing that. I'm like, I don't know. For some people, it might be a crisis if they're not figured it out. For other people, it might be an awakening. Yeah. It might be, holy crap, I've been faking it for so long to do A, B, and C, and now I'm not. I'm not yeah. doing it anymore. I'm going to do what makes me happy, and it makes it seem selfish and whatever. But it's only because we haven't been given you know, enough attention or time to our younger selves to get to that place because we're so busy trying to do 50,000. So it makes sense that their parents have figured that out. Well, sure they have. They're in their 60s. They're like, nope, we got it now. We got it now. We're just going to, we're going to roll with it, right? And it's almost Uh, like the two characters are still stuck in like a a childlike state because they're expecting their parents to still take care of them. Even though they're executives, they've moved to to England. They, there are, they're, they're teachers, they're execs. And then they still expect their parents to drop everything to cater to them. I just think their parents changing. And it's a perceived change because it's not a real change, right? That's who their parents have always been. I think when we start to get to know our parents as real people, it can be very jarring yeah. for lack of a better, for lack of a better word. I think it can be very like, what the hell is this? I don't want any of this. And if those parents seem to have sort of flipped it on its head, that kind of change amidst every other change we go through in our late 20s, early 30s, I think for most people is like, it, it's just, it's just a lot. And so yeah. they just, you know, they just reject it. So as they're becoming more of who they always were, mm-hmm. I, I think kids don't like it. It's like, it's like, we don't want to, we don't want the tradition, but we get really pissed when it blows up. Right. You know, we 100%. complain about it. And then it blows up. We're like, wait a minute. What about the tradition? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Don't change. <laughs> okay. But yeah. I think too, like many of the themes in the season was like the dissolution of home. 
And you have both characters coming home in a certain, in a certain regard. You have um, Elle's family, like her parents are divorcing. She's a th- like early 30-something, um, career-driven. She works with her mother, and she's not getting the support that she feels she needs from her parents. And instead, she acts out like a petulant teenager trying to force a conversation that was that is really none of her business and she's coming at it from a, a child's perspective which we all would yeah um when her mother is saying is trying to communicate with her like i was unhappy the home that you had in this family is always going to be here with your mother and father but we are no longer home to each other and then you have molly on the other side who comes back and tries to kind of after two years just pick up where she left off with her with l and then also her parents and she's horrified at the fact that her parents weren't kind of waiting around and being and not waiting to die lives or something that i struggled with watching is that i didn't love the fact that they were not as self-aware um and they weren't listening to anyone, not even each other. Mm-hmm. Like the entire um, the entire season, you sort of have this weird thing where they're having conversations together that are totally separate from what's happening. And they have this yeah. sort of codependent relationship that starts off. But as you roll into episode six and there's this conversation, it did feel very abrupt when you're watching it, especially when you're watching it in succession. Mm-hmm. Until you kind of look back and reflect on the fact that they've never actually had a conversation about their feelings, about what's happening in their lives. They're kind of pushing around it and expecting the other person to lead a conversation about what they're dealing with. Yeah, read their minds. So Molly throws it out like you never even asked about her. And I was like, what, did you, you, what do you want me to do? Like, you want me to ask you every single question about someone you never talked about? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other side... Molly's like, well, your parents love you and they have their own lives. So I don't think meddling in their relationship is the best for you. And El to Molly is basically saying, well, your parents love you and they're their own people. So they're saying the same things, Mm -hmm. but can't see it. And it's it's really hard to watch. I will say though, I want everyone to know this because we're all friends in this podcast. (laughs) If anyone locked my work computer in a trunk of a car and threw their keys somewhere (laughs) and I couldn't get at it and do my job and they didn't respect that, I would drown you in the lake. I don't care if it's frozen. I would break the ice and hold your head under the water. And then I would eat bacon and eggs as I legitimately had an anxiety attack over what I was missing. You really have to stop looking at me when you say that because I'm not, I promise I won't. Directly at you. <laughs> we need a detox weekend. Oh, Listen, yeah. I know you guys are younger than I am, but let's like try to remember late 20s, early 30s. The notion of self-awareness is a distant fucking hope. <laughs> Yeah. Think about it. Think about the people, like, think about all the people that you've been surrounded by, not your close friends, not your, you know what I mean? Not those, not those few key people that, mm-hmm. that sort of got it or that got you or that grew up, whatever. Mostly we're talking about vapid entities that are trying to pull something together, trying to find a life partner, trying to make everything work externally to them. 
without ever really saying anything because that would require a level of self-awareness they don't yet have. It's literally that is your late, I think it does your late 20s, and it's a very long time ago for me, but I think it does your late 20s, early 30s. I, I think that's what it feels like. I think, and you think you have it all together, and you think you know, and you think all of this stuff, and you look back five, six, ten years later and go, what a moron I was. <laughs> Well, the characters right? are it's they're literally the embodiment of like three kids in a trench coat trying to go to an r-rated movie it's like you're just not there yet <laughs> like, that's who uh, they are yeah that's who late 20s are with all the bravado of thinking they know crap which they mm-hmm. don't early 20s early 20s it's like they know they don't know anything but they're fine with the ignorance is bliss mm-hmm. right it's just yeah. like <laughs> whatever late 20s they're like have their collars pop because they have a nice they have a nice place to live, maybe, or or they have a decent job, and all of a sudden they have an income, and now they're the shit. But they still have nothing figured out of substance. Oh yeah, they're walking around like they think you. It's the illusion of having money and thinking you're you're okay because you have money. The in illusion your of having money. Exactly. It's the illusion, right? Because you're like, great. Oh no, now I have big people bills. Like now I have to be an adult, and it's just you're not there yet, but you will be. It yeah. seems like they're on the cusp of like we're so close, and then yeah, not making it completely. Um, it was. I guess it's like. I guess it's one of those things where it's hard to watch a little bit. Hmm. Um. Because it's like it's a wonderful story, but there is that moment where you're like you see bits of yourself in yeah in, in a little bit of their a communication strategies, but also like you can you, we've all had those arguments with friends and family where it's not about the fact that your feelings are invalid; it's more about the fact that you're not listening mm-hmm. to the other person, and the other person is hurting as well, and and probably has your best intentions at heart but you're too blind and you're too selfish to notice it. And I think at the root of these characters, like there is that kind of early, like late 20 something, early 30 something selfishness that comes with like, I am an adult. All of these things in my life that are hard um, are all happening to me. And only I understand upset yeah. and I, all I, I understand struggle and no one is struggling as much as I am. Nice. And it's, it's it's hard to look back on that. And I'm not that much older than these characters, either like either of us are, but like I am. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's um, who used to <laughs> No, but like neither of us are really that far away from these characters that we no. have forgotten what they like what they're meant to be feeling. And I think it's hard because there's such a, a learning that you do in your like early to mid thirties where you're like, Oh, everyone is struggling as much as I am with their own stuff. Everyone feels at times like they're drowning. I am not the only one. And while I have to make space for other people in my life to feel their feelings, it has nothing to do with me. And I can only be there for them as I hope they were there for me. Yeah. But well, they I, should not be. If I'm not going to talk about something, I cannot expect someone to carry that trauma or that pain or that struggle for me. And that's what I saw in these characters: is they didn't want to so much work through it. They wanted someone to carry that burden. Yes, yes, I agree. And something I did notice, and and you mentioned it was was them trying to help one another. There was a moment in the first season where Elle creates like a a hinge profile for Molly. That's and so weird. And it's so weird, but like, but Molly, because of Molly and Elle's dynamic, Molly goes with it because here's her trying to help. 
In the second season, Molly tries to do the exact same thing for her roommate Marvin and has a very different response. Marvin is very upset by this because she wasn't listening. I do find, and I, I this is not like just um, a commentary on this show, but any show that I've seen where there are like two best best friends who are who are kind of structured as the other halves of each other, those behaviors that we've kind of become accustomed to with best mm-hmm. friends in, in television and, and in movies where they start hinge profiles, like go on dates for the other person um, are, are really um, an extension of each other. I find de- deeply strange and problematic because you grow up thinking that's how best friends are, that you just like sleep in each other's beds. You like are have Jump in the shower to together, together, cuddle phones that you're like walking in and out of each other's houses. You just like, have no secrets between each other like all these things like you've like shared very like graphic details about guys that's um, what girls do you just don't know (laughs) but like i would say like to a point that's what gay men do as well like at least cisgendered like gay men yeah but would you um, how would you feel if i ever like like make you a profile and like started a like how would you feel i would i would pull i would drive you to that cottage (laughs) the water a few years ago, I got a divorce. If you go look, actually, I shouldn't say this on a podcast because I, I'm sure the profile's still up there. One, two of my best friends, when they thought I'd done cry, I was done crying, all of a sudden they said, "Here, Joe, look what we did," and they picked photos from Instagram really? and created a whole profile for me and up and like started it. Activated. Oh my God. So how do you feel? What, how did you feel about that when you realized what what they had done? I said, why aren't hotter girls liking me? <laughs> I mean, okay. But then, so let's, but if, Stuart, what if? I didn't like the idea. I, I didn't really care. I didn't, yeah. they were in charge of it. They're like, don't worry, we'll talk. Like I, guys, I didn't even talk to people. They did. It well, was they were, me. That's, they're technically catfishing people. I'm like, with your I'm not really up for that. Like you were, you were being used as That's a catfish. Right. <laughs> it's horrible. But if they were hot, like. Awful. I think there's a certain level where those things are like fine. Like if you're like having a wine night with a friend or something like that. And you're like, oh my God. They're like, if you're connected. They didn't tell me. No, but I'm not, that's, yeah, no, that's an invasion of privacy. And they were catfishing women for you. But that's problematic <laughs> in its own. But I'm saying, like, if you were to start, like, a, a drunken night together, and you're like, oh, my God, it's not a hinge profile. And then you have access on your phone to it, and you have all of the power to delete uh-huh. it. That's okay. But this idea that, like, someone else is is trying to help you so much so that they're taking that they're, – they're basically saying that they know better than you do yeah, about what you. you need in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's that kind of, like, I, that, like best friend – that we are so accustomed to seeing in TV and movies. Yeah, sure. And I, as someone in real life, most of the time, <laughs> find it like a little bit off-putting. It's a little bit one of those things where I'm like, But you hit something on the head, though. It's the fact that you're like, if we have a wine night and we're having fun and acting a fool, that's different. That's Oh, that's communication. That's you and that person sitting together, talking about it, making the profile, having a good time. This, once again, just shows that they'd rather just not communicate with one another and just try to create other new problems and new solutions for one another without actually figuring out how to do so. Like it's I mean, not, what, is it, what does it say about me if I don't care? Oh, they are very, do you're we very, want to <laughs> I 
I be going to therapy? Should I be talking through this with somebody? I I feel like I you did, just went I through did. a divorce. The last thing you cared about was like, whatever, some women are like looking me up online. That's awesome. No, Hi. no good looking women were looking me up. That was the upsetting part. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Like every single woman who looked Joanne up at a certain time is like, oh, we're <laughs> they're listening, going, oh, I swipe. still be up there. And it was like, you know, you're supposed to put like a mile radius or whatever. Yeah. There was like four lesbians in a hundred miles or something. Like it was insane. Oh, oh no. my God. I don't remember what app it was. I, I mean, I'm going to go find out if I'm still on it. Maybe I'll I get it taken down. I love this the, the the idea of this. Just that quick summary is like that could just be its own horror movie in its own. It's like right. four lesbians, hundred mile radius. Who wins? Um, Joanna, <laughs> well, Joanna, obviously. Okay, but is there any scenes from season one that you were unexpected that were unexpected? Like, did you really yes. enjoy them or really dislike them, Stuart? I liked the fact, and it was it was unexpected, um, but I really, really did enjoy the fact that both that Molly had that interaction with Elle's father. I really enjoyed what he said. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed oh, yeah. the, the back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, unexpected in a bad way, I really did not find it, I found it weird when she like had the outburst about to the students. I don't know. It was just like a very a weird. weird to me. Like as someone who's like out a out of control really adult, fast. Yeah. 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 I was like one comment from a homophobic parent, she's like, I am going to rip this <laughs> Like, it yeah. was terrifying. But it was abrupt. It was definitely abrupt. Why are the kids with their phones in gym class? Oh, Good jerks. Point. 100% they have their phone in gym class, A. <laughs> but B, that comes from somebody, that kind of reaction, that big reaction yeah. would come from somebody who is brand new, barely out, and not even really out, and very insecure and it feeling like a pr- wanting to protect that space. And she has a lot of queer friends and, and whatever, and feeling the need and, and, and then feeling that overwhelming urge. Right. I used to get me when it comes to my sexuality or my haircut or my whatever. And for nine times out of 10, I'll probably smile and wink before kind of calmly putting it in your place. But that comes with, you know, understanding stupidity and ignorance and not not having to go to that place, I think it was just a very young. It's a young reaction. It's a young response. Oh, I see students <laughs> reacting like that a lot. With that big, big, overwhelming. I, I would you like? I don't know. Like looking at all of us, is there anyone that you know in your life, newly come out, like newly outed, who is looking for a job, who has worked abroad to get this job, finally gets this job, and one fell swoop get suspended because they have an outburst in school. I just felt it was odd. It was the only real issue I had with season one. And it was such a small, minuscule thing. that It's not really something that I would like, since we're reviewing it, I'm going to bring it up. Um, it was just, it was a weird reaction. I understand what it was used for. It mm-hmm. needed to, it needed to happen to kind of push your character a little forward. And, 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 she could have got suspended for a lot less. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah. For being outed by like, her it didn't, she didn't have to swear at the kids. Like, I think... Yeah. I think, I think what I thought that was going to happen, I thought what would have happened, because I, I, I can feel this urge if I was that teacher. I, a kid going, this is in the note. I'm not supposed to hear this. 
I can be like, oh, sure, let me read your note and then give the lesson. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I could definitely as see myself as it. that teacher. Oh, slowly. <laughs> yeah. So just so everybody knows, you know, gender's a social construct. Hold on, Susie. I just have to read your whoever that kid was. Uh, it's a social contract. Yeah. And so we're going to be as inclusive. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll get back to your letter. Hold on one second. We need to be <laughs> inclusive. That right. would have been funny. That'd yeah. Be funny. And she could have got suspended for the she same thing. And could yeah. I see myself in that spot? Yes, yes, I could. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah. I I don't know. I, I, I would know that note coming. Well, I work at a different school. But a note like that, my kids talk openly about that because they know other kids in other schools have notes that get them out of like certain conversations. So the school I work at is much, much different. But the idea... That somebody be like, I don't want my kid learning about sex education in this institution. I know damn well that kid's not learning anything when they go home. Mm-mm. Right. Mm-mm. And what a terrifying, um, um, dangerous and and limited. I, I would feel all those feelings. It would be yeah. best if that somebody else just took care of that before they ended up in my oh, class. I wanna, Plus, I don't I teach wanna... gym, just so everybody knows. I've taught it once, but. I want to go back. I would be furious with the actual situation around it. And I would probably end up talking to the parents because I would agree with you. This no, no education is happening in this, in the at home, yeah. but I think it, I would, I would hope and say, so know myself. I don't think I would swear at the kids. No, and like, I, again, no, she could no, have done no, that no. scene I, funnier. I, I know, and I do it could realize have been this. I do realize the story was meant to be that kind of dramatic and outburst because she was outed by her girlfriend and she was dealing with all this other stress. I get that, yes. and it kind of I understand, but I do think we could have gone a little funny mm-hmm. and have her suspended yeah. and still get to that emotional release she needed to yeah. by being her own advocate, which is what her complaint was about in the first place. Yeah, because the jokes as, as a teacher though. As a teacher, the weird part about being a teacher is that you're carrying a lot of emotion a lot of the time. And there's no way this would have come across in that scene. You never even saw her teach other than that moment. But when I teach, if there's high emotions at school, it's like I'm a bit of a sponge. And I think a lot of teachers are. I mean, I would hope that we're relatively empathetic. And when you're empathetic and young... You're not very good at compartmentalizing it. Mm-hmm. So I, when I was young, I was more prone to yell. I was more prone to get kids into line. You know what I mean? I was more prone to sort of not swearing at them, but your emotionality, sort of. I felt like was all over the, it's kind of like you go back to high school when you're teaching high school, you're surrounded by the insanity mm-hmm. and, and your life is whatever it is. And you're going through, and sometimes you bring that, you can't help it. You bring that to school and then you're expected to be this like, you know, showman for eight hours a day. And then when you're absorbing all of their energy, I there is an element of it that I could feel that you, if they would have played it differently that would have resulted maybe in something more explosive. The swearing, I don't know. But it probably but, wouldn't have fit her character, though, because she's not calm, cool, and collected. She's not no. plotting. She's not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She's none of those things. So, Or maybe maybe she just has a panic attack and legitimately has to take like two days off. You could still yeah. have that scene with the parent in the store. You can still have her kind of like moping. I just, yeah. I mean, I will say that one of my 
uh, unexpectedly favorite scenes was the moment where Elle and Jake are sitting after he makes her kind of makes her dinner. Um, and they have this really powerful, very beautiful conversation about their That's lives and their parents. It, yes. it was amazing. And I was really bummed out when Jake just disappeared. Gone. Gone. So we, we got to bring it up season two. I think the reason we're talking so much about season one is because season one had a really great dynamic with these characters. They were a bit all over the place, but you really understood the story that was coming up behind it. But in season two, it genuinely feels like these are two very different characters. It was almost difficult to see them together in this capacity because you actually never do. Uh, you only ever see Elle and Molly together in the first episode, a fragment of a scene in like the fourth or fifth, and then the very end. So where the theme for the first season seems to be communication, there's no connection with these two characters. As you're saying that, do you think maybe season one was completely external, meaning all of the character development was externalized, was pushed on, was somebody else's problem, somebody else's issue. You, 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 my dad, my mom, you're my friend, my whatever. All of it was externalized. And what they did with season two is internalized it to a very epic level to the point yeah. where one of the women is in a cult. <laughs> so it's <laughs> internalized. Let's forget it's a cult for a second because the point of it is it's supposed to be just about her and her subconscious. Now, is she mm -hmm. getting screwed? process sure by the way who loses a condo like that and never has any thinks anything else about it she didn't oh. even take the pause not yeah, even sorry. a pause how much how money you... did she have i gotta ask like there's gotta be a way you can go back to your realtor and be like pause uh, pause cancel cancel listen, cancel like she never went back look i can't anyway, cancel the check i don't know it's all internal it's all mentally internal for her and then the other character it's it's actually physically internal it's literally internal mm-hmm with endometriosis and what's going on in her stomach and her, her having to recede to that and mm -hmm. deal with everything. And so is it metaphoric? Are we supposed to be seeing this as a metaphor as you just deal with the external? And at some point, you're going to deal with really crappy, horrible internal ramifications mm -hmm. if you keep dealing with the external, right? You're going to end up in a cult getting a hysterectomy. Is that... <laughs> is that uh, guys, I'm not. I'm being. I, I, I honestly, I genuinely, genuinely, but I genuinely. Think that's what it means. That, I think, I that's think that is a. Getting at. I think that's a perfect sort of summary and explanation of how season two works. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head immediately. External, internal, a hundred percent. Because the characters that we have in season one are barely in season two to the point where some don't even exist in season two. Yeah. And a character from season one that was only there for a few episodes is a main player. In this season, uh, there's a character named Jordan who is played by Alexander Nunez, who is a phenomenal actor. And his Great outfits. job. Great outfits. Great job. Loved his character. Thought he was – definitely was – he in this season was the bright spot. I really, really enjoyed him. And I'm glad that we finally got to see uh, Elle's mother again and Hunter again because Hunter was an underutilized character in season one. And I found that when he was in season two, he had some really great conversations and you really felt for him. And you can see the dynamic between um, Hunter and Elle's mother in a much better way. It didn't just seem like an affair that was happening on Elle's dad. It was actually a relationship. And I liked that about it. Um, 
Yeah, and we also got to introduce a new character named Marvin, and he was a great character. And he has this great journey trying to reconnect with people because he spent so much time in hospitals that he was afraid to be touched. So it turns out that he and Jordan have this sort of side business where Jordan just sells intimacy time, which is literally just them lying in a bed and being there for Marvin so he can feel comfortable being around people again. Season two was a big departure from season one, but the acting was still very on point. I thought there's a, there's a scene at, in the last episode with Elle and Molly where they're just having a conversation and Elle is just giving it her all, not phoning it in, doing such an excellent job in that scene. You really feel for her in that moment. And I absolutely love that. One thing that I want to say that I, it was the perfect, I think, because I think I kind of described season one and season two and my, my basic opinion there. <clears throat> with the internal and external. But my favorite scene of season two, by far, and yes, do I think it is slightly uh, metaphoric? Absolutely. Is the hot dog scene. Do you guys remember when, I don't know who says, let's go get a hot dog. Do you guys remember this scene? Jordan, I don't know yep. why it's like ingrained in my head. Yep. And, and there's these macro shots of oh. just pouring crap on the hot dog and it's going all over the goddamn place Disgusting. like there's relish on the floor <laughs> and on the side of the hot dog hot and peppers. Then he throws like eight pickles at it i'm like what is going what kind of chaos and i watched it more than once because i found the the chaos of that moment and i know i'm probably when you guys interview these lovely women next week please ask them because mm. Is that the, the chaos of that moment? And it gives me such anxiety. Is it symbolizing the chaos of their lives, but of the fact that they're trying to do what they love? They're trying to find what that girl, what that guy say, my blue leotard. Yeah. They're, they're trying to chuck it all and act from instinct and act from gut rather than pretense. And that's why the freaking, it's just, it's hurting my head just thinking about it. <laughs> But but I think the hot dog is the metaphor for the entire season. Can I tell you straight up that anyone who knows me intimately knows how much I cannot stand street meat. It is so <laughs> disgusting to me. And this is like, listen, I was 20. I know exactly where that street vendor was that they went to and got that hot dog. And in my 20s, I would be inhaling them after like two liter and a half bottles of white wine and like acting a fool till three in the morning. You couldn't pay me to even look at a hot dog from a vendor. And I get, I get so many remarks about it, but I genuinely, the thought of that poor person sitting in the freezing cold on all hours of night while just hot dog water boils with these pieces of meat and then these boxes of condiments, I want to just die. <laughs> like, I could not. I it's absolutely like, can't. Scooping it and they threw oh. it. It's like they chucked it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was disgusting. But that is exactly what it would have looked like at four in the morning after drinking your body's weight in gin. Like, <laughs> Stefan, I don't think we have to lie to our viewers or our listeners and say that you don't enjoy street meat. I don't. I <laughs> we don't. All know you do. No, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go have a hot dog from Ikea. How dare you? <laughs> I was talking owner, oh, mind. Okay, I see what you're doing. Yeah, um, there we go. There we all go. Right. Well, uh, 
Cats out of the bag. Joanna just actually mentioned it. We are actually going to be interviewing the cast of Avocado oh, Toast in the next episode. No, that's great. That's great. It was a great segue because I was actually going to bring it up anyway. We have the uh, amazing uh, opportunity to actually interview the cast from Avocado Toast and actually get to talk to them about the process of uh, creating the characters and the show itself and what they thought about the seasons. Really, really excited. What was it was like to work with Charlie David? Um, if anyone know, knows this podcast, you know our our absolute adoring love for Mulligans. Please go back and watch the episode. I might send it out as a bonus one uh, when we release these because my lord. Um, and also, I'll, I'll say this, and I'm just gonna say one thing about Charlie David very quickly. The man knows what he's doing because it was shot beautifully. I thought the writing was really good. The acting was really good. The directing was really good. So whatever he's doing behind the scenes, great job. It's really well done. Um, final thoughts. Would we recommend Avocado Toast to the audience, to our rebels? Stuart? I think so. I liked it. I'm like, I, I'm always someone who says, like, try things. Try mm-hmm. it. Try it out. I really, I will say, and I think this is fine to say it. I really preferred the first season over the second one. So the first season I thought was a lot stronger. It was for me, again, mm-hmm. personal, mm-hmm. for me, a lot stronger. Um, season two, I think what you said is so very true. It felt like a very different show. And when you start a show off, especially when you watch them in succession, you're hoping that the storylines pick up directly where you left off of them. Yes. It yeah. was a bit odd for it to, for me, it felt a little bit like, oh, where are we? Mm-hmm. Um, we've gone so far into the future with these characters and we're sort of working our way back through dialogue and conversation. So it's a, it is a bit jarring, but I definitely recommend it. I think um, it was shot beautifully. The acting was very good. It was funny. Um, I will say that uh, the character of Jordan was my favorite this season because he was one of the most consistent characters throughout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was happy to see he had more screen time uh, this season. And I do like the fact that we had some resolution um, with the mother characters. I did feel a bit strange that I feel like if I was in a cult, my mother would be there in a second to pull me. Yeah. Out of it. yeah. Like, yeah. So I don't know. It was just, it was like, where are your friends? Like, are you the only, are you Molly your only friend? Like when mm-hmm. Molly was gone, like what happened? I know they had that throwaway line in the first season where she said, "I couldn't stand anybody else." Yeah, but where was Rosie? Like, yeah, <laughs> I know she's a baby, but like, where were you? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said, uh, I agree with Stuart. Season one, I I I kind of want to figure out season two more now, and now I'm really just tied to that hot dog scene. Um, <laughs> Very much so. Uh, and I and, and then I kind of was thinking, when I'm watching season two, what would it take to get me in a cult? What would be, I honestly started thinking, like, what would be the lure? Would I have to be, would it, would it have to be a breakdown situation? I don't think I'd go to retreat. Like, I don't think I'd be pushed to retreat. There'd have to be a different lure, you know? Like, and so I started thinking, who, how could they lure me in? Like, could it be a Buffy thing? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and honestly, again, I also think um, people should absolutely give this a watch. It's on OutTV Go. You can watch both seasons uh, if you have a Prime account, and it'll just directly connect you from your OutTV Go uh, free for 30 days. I am not a spokesperson for OutTV Go, but maybe it should be. Um, I genuinely thought season one was, was really strong. Season two is a bit of a departure from season one. Um, it is strong in its own right, and what I do... The, the negatives I, I have on season two is it took away my my favorite plot that was happening in season one, but it did give us a lot more of Jordan, and Jordan is an excellent character, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and those scenes with Hunter were really great. Um, yeah, so I would definitely say give it a watch. Joanna, where can we find you online? Oh, you can find me on uh, TikTok and Instagram at Unlearn16. You can find me on Twitter if you're brave enough to challenge the waters and <laughs> social media <laughs> at uh, unlearn 16 tweet and i have in my own podcast with these lovely gentlemen have been on quite a few times called oh, unlearn yeah. 16 classes in session and i am platforms. and you can find Stuart and me locked in here forever because apparently we just live in this space we're and uh, we're not allowed to leave <laughs> with Julia actually now married on her amazing honeymoon and PJ surrounded by her harem. We'll figure out <laughs> where the rest are at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and don't forget to join us next week where we interview the cast of Avocado Toast and answer all the questions that we had from tonight and some extra little bonus content. It's going to be amazing. Cannot wait to have you all there. Thank you all so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. If you want to find me on Instagram, it's XNDRA underscore D-E-S-I-G-N, XNDRA underscore design. I would love your feedback, comments, hate mail, whatever you got for me. But let me know it's podcast related because I get a lot of weird things in my inbox. Hey, everyone. It's me, Bear Sailor Moon. You can find me on all social media platforms at Bear Sailor Moon. Including Scruff. If you want to find that, uh, you can search me at Starfox. I like that it's still not your real name. No. You can find me on Instagram or TikTok at Jennikin underscore. Or if you have an Amex Black card, you can send me a DM. They are open. It's not just the DM that's open, sweetheart. Well, it depends on the net worth. (laughs) (laughs) It opens other avenues. I have a moon kingdom. Does that count as net worth? Better yet, I think it's more important to ask how wide are those avenues. You can find me on all social media at C-A-R-L-O-T-T-A-C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. Amazing she can still spell that far up in, like, fame. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. It's Chad. Follow me on Instagram at C-S-K-I-O-1. Or you could buy me a pizza. I just want pizza coupons. I will also accept pizza coupons. I guess that means I have to say something funny. Shit. (laughs) I'm not sharing my pizza with you. Okay, I will. I will, I swear. (laughs) You can find me at Julia Lynch on Instagram and on Twitter. And you can find me, SJ Maroney, on Instagram. Find us on Facebook and Instagram under RWACPOD. Join our Patreon for all of our archive seasons and bonus content. And please rate and review this podcast wherever you subscribe. Until next time, go Steelers. Go Steelers.